Well, good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, three tools will try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? It's 499-9526. And we got every one of our lines wide open. That's right. And then you put a 225 in front of that, you can get us from anywhere in the continental United States. That's right. Just go ahead and give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. If you're in Baton Rouge or outside area, that would be just as well. There you go. Or, of course, <laughs> if you're from out of state, you just put a 225 on there and give us a call. I know I get a ton of email from folks all around the country. Seems like more and more every week, and that's great. I really enjoy hearing from you. And wish you would really call in because that gives everybody a little different perspective. There you go. That would get you a lot of great information that we could provide for you. Mm-hmm. That's right. The weather in the different regions of the country is sort of amazing. Right now, outside, it's 69, 70 degrees, oh, sunshine, yeah, beautiful. absolutely gorgeous. And, of course, you hear about up in the Northeast where you got Still snowing? Blizzards. Yeah, oh, yeah, man. I, tell you, I feel for you guys. I really I'm telling do. you. But nonetheless, yeah. <laughs> we, we, got, gonna, we got the Blues Festival going on in Baton Rouge, and it's beautiful. So. That's it. We're going to take this weather while we can. That's right. It won't be too much further down the road. It'll be Stifling. miserably hot. Yeah. That's right. A friend of mine was asking, well, if I wanted to visit New Orleans, says, what time of year should I come? I said, well, you probably want to come in spring. A- yeah. April, maybe May, when maybe 95 degrees hadn't got hot yet. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) So, hey, give us a call, 499-9526. All our lines are wide open. And just in case you don't get a chance to call in or something maybe occurred to you a little later on during the week. That's right. You can always go to our website and get your questions answered that way. The address is www.agcoauto.com. Easy way to remember that is take the acronym Altazan's Garage Company. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. There is a contact bar on each and every page. You can send Lewis an email any time of the day or night and get it back within 24 hours. A lot of times sooner, depending on when you send it. That's right. There's also several databases you can search and probably find information you're really looking for. There's the vehicle topics, Mm -hmm. uh, vehicle questions, I'm sorry. That's right. Vehicle questions, that is a short to the point answer to a particular question that'll give you an exact answer to the specific question that you're asking there you go and then you got the detailed topics that's which right. is a much more in-depth article on a certain topic well that is a lot of information on a given topic for instance if you want to understand what viscosity is then there's one in there on that topic and it tells you not okay use this kind of all it explains what viscosity is why it's there why you shouldn't substitute what it means and all that and not everybody wants that kind of an answer some people just say well put 5w30 in there uh-huh. that's all all the information they want but other folks who are kind of like me they want to understand how that works right why do i put that in there what's the purpose of it how does it work what does 5w30 mean that's where that kind of information is and i put one on this morning on some myths that exists in the automotive industry and it's called some automotive myths busted uh-huh. it's kind of a spoof on myth busters and it just takes i think about seven or eight real popular myths that exist in the industry that have been around for years and years and years and it kind of it busts those and gives you the proper answer for instance one of those is that if your car is burning oil put a heavier oil in it uh-huh and that's been around for years. I don't know where it originated. I think it probably came from years ago when we had a lot of problems with engines, bearings wearing out, and they lost oil pressure. And you put thicker oil, it would boost the oil pressure a little bit. But that is absolutely the wrong thing to do. That is counter to what you want to do. Exactly. Thicker oil is going to throw more oil on the cylinder walls, make it harder to 
control, and it's also going to boost the oil pressure, which can throw more oil up on the cylinder walls. It's also going to stay on the walls longer, which is going to make it harder to control. So it's going to make the problem worse. Sure. It's also going to affect a lot of other things and may end up taking out your catalytic converter. So that's just one of them, but there's tons more. Lots of good information. Pop on, see what you think. It's www.agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. I think you'll really like it. And we've got David online. Good morning, David. Uh, good morning, guys. Always enjoy your show. Well, thank, thank you. you. Since the lines were open, I had a question that's not really urgent, but it's of interest to well, me. Well, good deal. I wondered uh, what you all thought of the Ford Transit, I guess it's a van, Mm-hmm. as a substitute for the smaller pickups, which seem to be going away. If that's what you like, I can tell you the good and the bad and the ugly about it. One thing, a van, if you ever drove one, is a little more difficult to drive around. It is sort of hard to see in a lot of cases. It's a little bit harder to maneuver, but it does provide a lot of cargo room and all that. It provides covered cargo room. Security also. And security is sort of like the way the station wagons went away when the minivans came out. Yes. It's just a different solution to the same kind of problem. And then the minivans kind of sort of went away when the SUVs came out. And then the SUVs are now going away for the crossovers. It just, they keep coming up with different marketing gimmicks and stuff. I don't think that it's a bad vehicle. I don't think it's the answer to everyone's problems. It's one of those things you probably need to go and drive. My advice to anybody who's considering something that is sort of radically different from what you had before is to maybe go and rent one. Because a test drive, you know, that salesman could get in there and he's bending your ear, he's yak, 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 and you really and can't concentrate on what you're doing. Yeah, and not only that, you go about two miles and he wants to go back to the dealership. Yeah, he's ready to sign on the bottom line. Uh, right. Uh, yeah, here's my ink pen. <laughs> right, so exactly. what you're better off doing is go ahead and invest a few dollars, rent a vehicle like you want. For at least a week. Yeah, go drive around for a week. Because there's a lot of things, it's going to seem great for two or three days, and you say, well, you know, this is really annoying. <laughs> and I don't want to have to live with this for the next seven years. I'm paying for this joker, you know? Well, they are a front-wheel drive, aren't they, which is kind of unusual for anything that you might call a pickup. Yeah, I'm not sure. I hadn't seen that many of them, David. They may be. A lot of vehicles are front-wheel drive now, and that's really not too big of an issue. Not They've anymore. got that pretty much worked out. Over the last 30 years, front-wheel drive at one time was sort of a dog, I guess you'd say. Had a lot of problems, but, I mean, virtually everything being built today is front-wheel drive, other than a few pickups and SUVs. And really, there's no big issues there. I mean, they've got that pretty well worked out. Well, I surely do appreciate your comments. Thank you very much. Hey, thanks for calling, man. Bye-bye. 499-9526. Number, if you want to be part of the automotive, I would love to have you. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call, huh? Get there, there you go. I'll get the right button. <laughs> Union buttons, boy. Oh, I tell you, I don't think I'll ever, ever, ever completely get that down pat. Yeah, if they if they look the same, that would be one thing. That's but, right. Man, they they totally well, different not buttons. even close to each other. No, not even close. <laughs> <laughs> what can I say? Talking about using the contact feature on the website uh-huh. and all, and I get a lot of email. I went ahead and printed a few of these out, and I thought maybe we could read a couple of them and just to see the things that okay. folks are thinking about. I had a gentleman named Kevin from Austin, Texas, who wrote, and he said that his vehicle was running, and all of a sudden he parked it. It made a loud pop kind of a noise. Didn't think too much about it, except the next morning he went out, and there was some coolant under it. Okay. Well, that alarmed him a little bit, but then he went to start it, and it cranked over and cranked over, but it wouldn't start. Okay. And it cranked over with a sort of a peculiar sound. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, and so he thought maybe the starter was bad, at first, so he went and he got a starter, he put it on, but that didn't help. And he was asking what we thought it could possibly be. Right. Well, 
it sounds an awful lot like a water pump may have come apart on it. And if the water pump comes apart, it's going to jump timing. Right. And there's the timing belt that drives the water pump on this particular car. It happened to be a Toyota Camry. And when that happens, the camshaft is going to go out of time with the engine. So the engine's going to lose compression. Now, that's going to cause it to not start. That's going to make it sound funny when you crank it over. Right. And worst case, it may cause the valves to hit the pistons. And if that happens, then you're pretty much into a new motor. Now, the thing is, there's only a handful of ways to know if this has happened before you put a new timing belt on it. And there's a pretty big expense involved tearing the whole engine down, putting a timing belt on it, only to find out that, well, you've got internal damage, right? Yeah, because at that point, you're probably eating up four hours or more labor. You probably have to put, buy a water pump and buy a timing belt at very least, even if you don't couple, change the seals and all, just to put it together. Bucks, right. Yeah, very least. And so you're out a fair chunk of money to find out that the engine is lunch. Now, there is one other way, and this is not applicable to every engine, but on this particular engine, what you could do is to remove the camshaft and then do a cylinder leak down test. Sure. And you'd have to remove the camshaft so that all the valves would be closed because there's no other way to close all the valves on it. Because if you start rotating the camshaft and you don't know where the pistons are, you could crash a valve into a piston uh-huh. and cause damage. So you could remove the camshaft. That would close all the valves. Then you can go in with a little adapter, hook it into the spark plug hole, fill the cylinder up with air, and see if it holds air. If the air comes rushing out through the intake port or through the exhaust, then you then know you that know. valve is either bent or stuck or something is wrong. And you got to make a decision at that point if you want to go ahead and tear the motor down or where you want to go with it. Right, and usually once you drive a timing belt that long and it comes apart, the probably, going in and changing just the head or well, you're kind of just wasting. You're some probably going to have a lot of miles. You're probably going to have 120 to 150 thousand miles on the engine anyway. And I hate to say it this way, but if you haven't changed the timing belt, you probably hadn't maintained the rest of the engine either. Right, <laughs> that's just a fact. And if the engine has that many miles, has not been maintained, to go in and put a cylinder head on it and hope for the best is going to be very, very expensive, may or may not cure the problem. Right. If it does, great. You, you got by with it. If well, it doesn't, then you're out that much more money and time. A, and if it had been a piston rod also. You won't know that. Until you won't know you that it. until right. probably 5,000, 10,000 miles down the road when it starts knocking and That's it. burning oil and all those kinds of things. So it's a very, very tough situation to be in. Now, the only way in the world to absolutely guarantee this is not going to happen, and that's change that time belt on time. Exactly. And the time on a timing belt, it varies a little bit from car to car. Some vehicles actually recommend it at 60,000 miles, right. right, depending on what kind of car it is. Most of them now are around 90,000. Some of them are as high as 105,000. But almost all of them that I've ever seen cut it off at seven years. Right. And that- that's the kicker. Because we get a lot of folks, particularly elderly people, who don't drive their cars a whole lot. They may have a nine-year-old Toyota Camry 30, with 30,000, 40,000 miles, miles, and they have never even considered a timing belt. Right. Not only that, but a lot of the shops they go to don't mention a timing belt because of low mileage. But they don't consider that it's seven, eight, nine years old. Right. That is a rubber component, and it needs to be changed just like a tire. Well, you know, it, the, the rubbers break, break down, down over time. Right. right. And time is much more critical than miles because let's say we had a car and we put 105,000 miles on it in one year. Well, that timing belt would still look like brand new. Boy, you were on the road. That's right. <laughs> because it doesn't care if it's going around or sitting there. Exactly. It's just over a period of time, the rubber's going to dry rot. When it dry rots, it's going to start to break down. When it breaks down, then it's going to break. When it breaks, the valve's going to hit the pistons. Exactly. If it's an interference fit motor. If it's not, at very least, the car's going to stop running and you're going to be stranded. Right. 
So you got to watch time and miles on that, and a lot of maintenance is that way. Some things only care about time. Other things only care about miles, Correct. and some things care about both. both. For instance, a transmission, they care about time and miles. 50,000 miles, it's going to be needing service. If you got five years, it needs service regardless of the miles. Right. Other things like belts and such as that, coolant, what have you, they don't care so much about the miles. They really care about time because of chemical reaction. Now, still other things, like say a spark plug, it doesn't care about time. No. It can be 25 years old. It's going to fire so, so many times in so many miles, and then it's going to wear out. Right. And it really doesn't care about how, how much long? time that takes. So you got time, you got miles, and then you got the combination of two. And that's a lot for the average person to remember. Sure it is. And that's why, depending on how you drive your vehicle, you should probably use a severe service mm -hmm. schedule if you drive anywhere in Louisiana, really. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. But a good plan, too, we advise a lot of our customers, just come in once a year. Once a year, bring it in. We'll do a general inspection. That's where we'll check everything. We'll check over the coolant. We'll check the pH. We'll check the time belt. We'll check what's been done, what needs to be done, the time that has passed. Pull a couple spark plugs out. Take a look at them. Check the brakes, check for codes, check for pending codes, check all these things. And you're not ever going to be too far past due. About the only thing you have to do in between is maybe do an oil change or something. But Probably. you're never going to be too far wrong if you come in once a year. Just pick a month, and that month, go ahead and get a general inspection. That's right. And if you use our website, we have a reminder service on there also. That's right. You send yourself a reminder once a year. Hey, we're going to take a quick little break and be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. That's the best. I get your kicks. Just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a few things that chap my hide lately. $150 jeans, vanity licenses that are too complex to read, billboards that say drive carefully. Think about that one. Child beauty pageants. I mean, let's go ahead and set these kids up for failure before they get to kindergarten. And how about when you try to be nice and let someone out in traffic and they won't go because they're talking on the cell phone? Here's a message for you. Put the phone down! Another thing that chaps my hide is repair shops that use Swaptronics to fix your car. That's where they can't pinpoint the exact problem, so they just change parts, hoping to fix something, which means your repair bill could double. The experts at Agco determine the exact problem, then fix it right the first time, at the price quoted, which does not chap my hide. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just join us, it's the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, through to us, try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? It's 499-9526. Of course, you stick a 225 in front of there, and we'll get to us from anywhere in the continental United States. And we'd really like to hear from you this morning. That's right. And if you call from outside of the local calling area, call from out of state, just give the producer your name and your address where you're calling from, and, of course, your size preference, and I'll get an egg code T-shirt sent out to you. First thing Monday morning, USPS. That's right. Just an extra little bonus there. I give Elizabeth something to do for Monday morning. <laughs> something else to do Monday yeah, morning. Yeah, Monday mornings are kind of hectic. We got <laughs> plenty, plenty to do. That's running out of stuff to do on Monday morning is generally not an issue. No, no, not hardly ever. Yep. Mondays and Fridays, I guess, in most automotive shops are probably the two busiest days. Well, it is for us because is we're only open sure. Monday through Friday. Right. I guess shops, you know, maybe they're open Friday, maybe Saturday's their biggest day. Who yeah. knows? But, uh, I even saw one open on Sunday. Oh, Lord have I'm mercy. telling you. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's kind of tough. I'm telling you. Wow. Hey, we're going back to our phone lines with Charles. Good morning, Charles. Good morning. I have a 09 Toyota Camry. Okay. Four-cylinder. 90, 89,000 miles. Uh-huh. 
crank it up in neutral or part. Turns like a kitten. Uh huh. If you put the air conditioner on or put it in drive, it's a pretty good vibration. Okay. I mean, it's not horrible, but you can. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. You can feel pretty it. Pretty obvious. Yes, sir. Charles, the most common cause of that by a wide measure, now I'd have to see your car to, to conclusively say this is it, but the most common thing is one of the motor mounts is bad. And the reason it does it when you put it in drive or put the air conditioner on is because when you cut that AC on, you're pulling about 40 horsepower more on that little four-cylinder motor, which is going to bog it down. It's a lot more load on it. Same thing when you put it in drive, it's going to bog it down. So when it bogs down, it's going to run rough. Engines vibrate. That's just what they do. And they're sitting on blocks of rubber, which makes it not felt by the driver. But now if one of these blocks of rubber tears or sags down or whatever, then when you put it in drive, you sort of load it to one way, and it torques over, and it touches, and that's when the vibration comes through to the driver. Now, are you fairly handy, Charles? Do some work yourself? Uh, something I've changed motor mounts. Yeah. Well, let me show you how you can diagnose this for certain. If you got like a little floor jack or something, find a piece of wood that's big enough to spread the load out, like a piece of two by six or something, maybe a foot long. Put that under the oil pan, put the floor jack on there, and just jack the motor up very slightly. And you're not trying to lift the car, just take the load off of it. That will lift that motor mount off its support. Put it in gear and vibration's gone. That's what the problem is. Okay, is there a way to isolate which motor mount? You can just physically inspect them. It'll be right. pretty obvious. You'll see they're cracked or torn or broken or whatever. More than likely, if you got one that's bad, the other ones aren't far behind. Yeah, generally. Normally, yeah. there's going to be one in the front by the core support. It takes the most abuse because every time you accelerate, it's being pulled on. There's also one in the back that counters that one out, and those are the two that probably wear the fastest simply because the the rocking of a transverse-mounted engine is going to load and unload those two. There's going to be one or two more on the ends of the engine, you know, left and right, and there may be a torque strap as well. And it's going to be probably one of the front or one of the rear, particularly if you put it in gear and put it in reverse, it changes. And if it's not there in reverse, it is there in drive, then it's one of those two most of the time because yes. it's lifting up on one and pushing down the other depending on which gear, you know, which, if it's going forward or reverse. Okay. The motor mount sounds right because I had it in neutral once, mm-hmm. and I gave it gas before I shifted, mm-hmm. and when I shifted, I heard the Right. Yeah, I kind of lift it up and and, and drop it down. The way they used to test motor mounts, Charles, they would put it in drive and put the brakes on and kind of power brake it and watch the motor pick up. But on an 09, if you do that, you're going to set a check engine light. It's going to throw a light on because it sees the car accelerating and it doesn't see it moving, and that is going to be a pain for you to get rid of. And So don't do that. That can also damage the car. But, yeah, that little floor jack trick works real well. And, again, you don't want to get crazy and try to lift the car up and bend the oil pan, but just a little bit of pressure. It doesn't take much. An engine probably only weighs three, 400 pounds, so it doesn't take much to lift it off of the mount. And if you pick it up a quarter inch, get the load off of it, the vibration is going to go away, and that will tell you. Okay, one other quick question. Sure, go ahead. Uh, what do you charge for the general inspection? It's $90. We charge $90 an hour. It takes about an hour to do a full general inspection. And like I said, once a year is more than adequate on that. Just pick a month. If May is good for you, every May I'm going to come in and get this done. And it's just a commitment to cutting your car's overall cost because what you start doing when you do that, you start heading off and anticipating problems before they occur. In other words, that fuel filter that got overlooked becomes a fuel pump. So a $50 problem becomes a $900 problem. And the transmission service that doesn't get done turns into a new transmission. So $150 service becomes a $4,000 service. And where you need to be is preventing them rather than just repairing them. 
Okay. Well, I appreciate it. All righty. Hey, thanks for calling, man. Bye-bye. 499-9526 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. We were talking just before our last break about uh-huh. emails and all, and I got Brent from Alaska who Brent has emailed a couple of times, and he had two questions. The first one was, is a 4.7-liter Toyota engine an interference-fit motor? Okay. And the short answer is yes, it is. Right. Uh, if that particular engine, that's the V8 Toyota engine, if the timing belt breaks, the valves are going to hit the piston, so it's going to be destroyed. That's not one you want to take a chance on. The other one was, he says he's got a four-wheel drive truck, and the pinion seal is starting to leak a little bit. And he's getting conflicting suggestions. Some people say you just put a pinion seal in it. Other people say, no, you got to tear it down, change the crush sleeve, and so on. Uh-huh. And the proper answer to that is you should not put a pinion seal in any differential that has a crush sleeve. Now, there are a handful of differentials that don't have a crush sleeve. Right. They're built differently, and they can have just a seal replaced. But most, I'd say the vast majority, do have a crush sleeve. When you couple that with the fact there's usually a reason why that pinion seal is leaking. It's the bearing is allowing that seal to move off center. The as bearing it's a lot of times is failing and when it starts to fail, it starts to move and the seal starts to leak. And if you go in and change that seal and tighten that nut up, you actually load the bearing a little more, which makes it fail even more and wipes out a set of gears. And now you're taking a relatively big repair and turning it into an astronomical repair. Exactly. I mean you could take a seven or eight hundred dollar repair which is bad enough and turn it into a twenty five hundred dollar repair right quickly is real bad yeah just by tightening that pinion nut and drawing that slack up and throwing the gears out of mesh with each other so one of those things where you're gonna have to either know who it is that's giving you the advice or go to service data and look it up yourself but you gotta be very very careful just knocking a seal in anything that's leaking another reason why those pinion seals will start to leak is that you got a bad u-joint and a U-joint is not necessarily got slack in it because some of them will go bad. They just kind of seize up. Right. They get tight. They get dry, and, and they'll tighten they do, up. They, that's what certainly beat that seal out in that rear differential and also beat the seal out the back of the transmission. That's right. And really the only way to, to diagnose that U-joint is to take the shaft out and physically move the joint across the two planes. Right. If it's smooth and free yeah you're okay you're not going to be able to check that in the vehicle no you're going to have to take it out you could check it for slack but you can't check it for a binding well the the correct way would be to take it out that's right that way you could check it both ways and you'd have it out and you would know right and not a big deal to do either right we're going to take one more quick little break and be right back with more on the automotive hour just a guy here for agco automotive with a few things i'm tired of i'm tired of reality tv There's nothing real about it. I'm tired of all those housewives, the Kardashians, the brides, the bachelors, celebrities in rehab. Here's an idea. Let's ship all the Flavor Flaves, Snookies, and Honey Boo Boos off to a deserted island and watch America's average IQ jump up a few points. I'm also really tired of automotive repair shops that promote an $89.95 brake job and then hit the folks for $500 and give them a lousy job. Listen to me, and take your vehicle to Agco, where you get quality work performed right the first time for a reasonable price. And that, my friends, is a reality. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Loud noise off the river 
Hey, welcome back. If you join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alexander, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Old car squeaking, squealing, won't start, won't stop. That's right. Hey, you give us a call. We're going to try to help you out and point you in the right direction to give you some free, unbiased advice. There you go. And that's one of those things that's really, I guess, difficult to come by. Most of the advice that you get, well, I can't say most. A lot of advice you get is going to be kind of biased or slanted. Whoever gives you the advice is going to advise you kind of sort of what's in their best interest. Sure. Not necessarily what's in your best interest. It's sort of like when you go to a stockbroker and he sells you the stock that he makes the biggest commission on. There you go. Rather than <laughs> maybe the one that's safest or whatever, and certainly not all of them do. I'm not trying to paint with a broad brush. I'm just saying that that does happen. Right. And the same thing with just about anything. You, know, you go and buy a car, and that salesman is supposed to be there to try to help you get the right car. Yeah, but he's just promising you the world. It'll do whatever you well, want absolutely. it to do. And you find out down the road that, wait a minute, this thing doesn't do what I'll need to do. Well, he it. gets an extra spiff on selling a car that's been on a lot for more than three months, and that's the one nobody wants. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> that's the one that's the greatest in the world. You know, He's going to push it on you and try to tell you all the reasons why you should do it, even though you know you shouldn't. Right. And I'm just picking on them in particular, but anytime you get advice, no matter what it is, you want to make sure that the person giving the advice is, number one, qualified to give advice, uh-huh. and number two, unbiased and has no reason to, to give you advice one way or another. That was one reason why, growing up, I'd always go to the old man, because number one, I knew he was smart, right? and number two, he's a lot older than I was. And number three, he was looking out for my best interest. Yeah. So any advice he ever gave me was first-class advice. There you go. Now, not everybody has that luxury. Not everybody has two parents or even a parent who cares about them, but a whole other issue. Yeah, Yeah. don't (laughs) get started there. You're looking for someone who does not stand to gain by the advice that they give you. They're just trying to help or trying to give you advice. And there are a lot of sources like that. A lot of what's on the Internet, I think, is very well-meaning advice. And certainly, in most cases, the person offering the advice does not have anything to gain one way or the other. Right. Particularly, you go on a forum or something, and you ask for advice, and everybody kind of gives you their opinion. And they don't really have any interest one way or the other. They're just trying to be nice people and help you out. But that's where the second part of the equation comes in. You have to be very, very careful what are the qualifications of this person giving you the advice? Sure. Sure. He could be a ditch digger giving advice on auto repair. Well, that, or you can get financial advice from a guy who's living in his car. There you go. <laughs> or a homeless person. Now, I'm sorry you're homeless, but I'm not taking financial advice from you because it obviously <laughs> didn't work out too well for you. There you, know? you go. And I get these phone calls all the time, all these great investment opportunities. And, you know, you want, okay, now why do you have this job cold calling people all day long if you're so wise and you can make all these financial yeah, why you want to bother everybody else? Yeah, why don't you just go borrow some money, take to the bank, double it, borrow some more, double that, pay it back, half, you know, and you can be rich in no time at all. You wouldn't have to be making these stupid phone calls. There you go, bothering people that don't <laughs> want to be bothered about it. Isn't that the truth? So what I'm saying is, is you need to, when you look for advice, someone who has no reason to give you one way or the other, and that is certainly the reason why we have paid advisors. Uh-huh. Because supposedly we are paying an advisor who is wise, and we were paying someone for their advice, and that way it should be unbiased. Right. It's 
advice in our best interest. That's right. For instance, if I go to my doctor or I go to my dentist, I have no doubt that what they tell me, I'm going to pay them for their advice. They're going to advise me what is in my best interest uh-huh. to the limit of whatever knowledge they have. And you know, certainly they're not perfect, and there are times that— and I have seen them say, hey, look, this is more than I can handle. You need to go see this gentleman. That's right. Well, this doctor can handle past this point. That's right. And and that's kind of the sign of a wise advisor. Is exactly. He's going to tell you that as opposed to trying to just make something up and tell you something that sounds good. <laughs> yeah. So when you start to seek advice, that's the things you want to look at. I think that's one reason why our website works out as well as it does and I was looking on there this morning, and, you know, since we've been online, I guess, I don't remember how many years. I think we put that back around close to 10 years, about 2003 we put it online. Uh-huh. We've had two and a half million hits on that site. Wow. Which, you know, somebody like Google, they may get that in a day, but to For, a local site, that is a tremendous number of hits. And a huge number are repeat hits. And there's people who have been on it and come back again and again and again. Right. Uh, we run probably close to... 60% repeat, because once a URL has come to the site, it knows that, and when it comes back again, it recognizes that and marks it as a repeat or return visitor. Right. So you can kind of track if it's all new people coming to the site or if it's repeats. And I think that kind of bodes well for the information. The reason that many people have come and looked and referred it to other people and continue to come back is because they're getting advice that is non-biased and it is coming from someone who knows a lot about what they're talking about. Exactly. You know, I've done this for 45 years, so I have learned a whole lot about it. There are certain times, sort of like your example with a doctor, where I have to tell people, well, I really don't know. For instance, if you write me about a European car, I can give you some generalities. Right. But I don't know about European cars because I have never worked on them to any degree. I work on Asian cars and domestic cars. So if you call me about a Toyota or a Honda, Honda or a Chevrolet or a Ford or a Chrysler, chances are I'm going to know exactly what you're talking about. Right. I've been there, done that. Right. Now, you, you call with a Mercedes or a Volkswagen well, or an Audi. I, or I can give you some generalization. Sure. You know, for instance, if you have a problem with the coolant in it and it's doing this, well, I can tell you generally how coolant works and how to watch out for that. But you're going to need to go and look up what specific coolant goes in this car and that sure. kind of stuff just because that's not my forte. And right. I'm going to be sure to tell you that because – People who give advice and really shouldn't, and that's kind of what you see a lot on the internet. I go on a lot of forums just kind of perusing around, and a lot of times I will see people giving well-meaning advice, and man, they are just 180 degrees off. I know. They're telling people stuff that's going to actually cause them problems, and I guess sometimes I'll, if it's a forum that I'm a member of, I may pop on there, and I don't ever contradict anybody, but I might just say, well, you might want to also check this and this and this. Sure. Kind of in a tactful way, just tell them, hey, you might want to get a little Better information. Yeah, different information, better information, more information. Because you don't want to go in there and start challenging, oh, you're wrong, yeah, 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 because all that does is Oh, yeah, it just creates a, a problem. contest. Yeah. <laughs> and you're really not going to get anywhere with that. People really don't like hearing that anyway. I know sure. I don't. I hate that kind of behavior. There you go. <laughs> hey, we're going back to our phone lines with Anna. Good morning, Anna. Hey, Lou, how you doing? Doing great, man. Good morning. Good morning. I have a 2005 Yukon, mm-hmm. and every time I go to start it, the first time it doesn't start, and then the second time it does. Okay, when you say it doesn't start, it just kind of cranks over and it's wrong, 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 and doesn't just, start? Yeah, it just kind of goes, yeah. Yeah, Anna, cranks. in almost every case, you said it was a 2005. Five. In almost every case, that's going to be one of two things. Either the fuel pump is starting to go out because there's a little check valve in that pump. 
Uh-huh. What the job of that check valve is, when you turn your key on or when you cycle the ignition over like you're starting the car, the fuel pump will run for one second, and that's to charge the fuel line up. But okay. what happens is that it expects that this valve is going to close when you turn it off, and it's going to hold that pressure on the line. So when it starts, all it needs is a second to charge the line. It can start. Now, if this little valve leaks, the gas is going to leak back into the gas tank, and it's not going to leak externally. It's just going to run back to the gas tank. So okay. the pump comes on, it runs for a second, but it only gets the gas about halfway up. Now, when you go to start, there's no gas at the injector, so it just cranks and cranks, it won't start. When you turn it off, turn it back on, what it does is it runs for another second, so it pushes it the rest of the way, wham, it goes ahead and starts. Now, the yeah. other possibility, you'd have to check and see if that has a fuel pressure regulator on the rail, and I think an 05 does. That's a little part up on the fuel rail, about the size of a half a dollar, silver, and it's got a vacuum line going in. If that leaks internally, it does exactly the same thing. It just leaks the pressure off, and that's a much smaller job and real easy to check. So oh, okay. what you do with that, you just pull the vacuum line off and shake it, and if any gas comes out, then it's bad, and you change that. It's pretty easy. It's right there on the fuel rail, and it's relatively inexpensive. The fuel okay. pump is inside the gas tank, so and it's an expensive part. Now, how many miles you got on it, Anna? Got about yeah, miles. so you're pretty close to needing a fuel pump at that mileage on a Chevrolet or GM product. That's normally about the life is about one ten to one thirty somewhere. Which you might, it's been, yeah, it's been doing it for probably yeah, maybe about two years. Yeah, it's gonna do that for a while, and then one day it's not gonna start at all, or it's just gonna die on you on the road and leave you stranded. So this is kind of the warning. I would take this as a warning, and what I would do is. Right now, you've got the wherewithal to decide where you're going to have it done and when you're going to have it done, and it's convenient for you. So if you wait until it breaks down on a Sunday morning, now your options are real, real limited. Or if you're on vacation halfway between here and Pensacola and it breaks down, you got a big, big, big problem. Right, right. You know, well, it's it's going to die. So mm-hmm. yeah. it, It's going to die once it starts out. I would go ahead and probably schedule to have that looked at and maybe go ahead and replace fuel pump. Just and a preemptive thing. It's going to be expensive. It's going to be anywhere, depending. There's about four different options. Low price, probably about $600, up to high price, about $900. And the difference is the price of the pump because there's several different fuel options and they use different pumps and they cost a lot of different price. Okay. All righty. Well, thanks for the advice. All righty, ma'am. Thank right. you. Bye bye. Four nine 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 five two six. The number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would love to have you. That's one of those things that I don't know. I guess because you can cycle ignition a couple of times and it starts, people tend to overlook it. Right. And it's kind of like I had an email from a gentleman. I think he was from Illinois, and he said his girlfriend's check engine light came on, but then it went off. Uh huh. And then it came on again, and then it went off. But the car seems to run fine, so they were just kind of disregarding it. And that is the absolute wrong thing to do. He finally had a check, and he said, well, it's just an oxygen sensor, and it doesn't affect the way the car runs. I said, well, that is true. It may not affect the way the car runs, but the oxygen sensor's primary job is to protect the catalytic converter. Which is nine to $600 to $1,600. $1, yeah, and if you don't change this $300 part, it's going to take out two converters, right. $800 a piece. And you still got to change the part. <laughs> How about so, that? So, yeah, it doesn't make sense to put it off. And those lights go on and off for a number of reasons, but can't just disregard it because many times you won't have an actual symptom. Exactly. All right, we're going back to our phones. Robert, good morning, Robert. Hey, I'm sorry, Robert. I got a bunch of noise in the background. If you call right back, I'll put you right straight back up to the top of the list. We're going back to the lines with John. Good morning, John. Morning, Lewis. How you doing? Doing great, sir. Good morning. Enjoy y'all's program. Thanks, sir. 
Lewis, I'm getting ready to buy a new utility pull behind my Toyota Tacoma V6 automatic. Okay, sir. I get a single axle. It weighs a little over 600 pounds. Yes, sir. And I can get a tandem axle that weighs a little over 900 pounds. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. And you got to also take in consideration how you're going to load that trailer. Yeah, what's going to be on the trailer. Right. But my question to you is, would it be a lot easier on my pickup the motor and transmission if I kept it to a single axle utility trailer? I don't think that the trailer is, that 300 pounds is going to be sort of irrelevant, John. I think it's more what you put on the trailer that's going to be the issue. As long as you keep the overall load to about 2,000 pounds, including the weight of the trailer, you're going to be fine as frog hair. That's well within the limits of what that truck can pull. Okay. You could probably get by with a little more than that, but when you start getting more, you start picking up more problems. Number one, you got to stop that load, and number two, all the drivetrain has to pull it. Under no circumstances would I pull more than about 3,000 pounds with it right. because that's where you start getting them problems. So if you've got a 700-pound trailer, it gives you a little more cargo load. If you got a 900-pound trailer, it gives you a little less cargo load, but the trailer probably more able to withstand it. If you're mostly carrying small loads, John, I would recommend a single axle just because you only got one set of tires. And those tires are probably going to get old before they wear out, and you have to change them, so it's just a bigger expense. So if you don't need a four-wheel trailer for the load you carry, I think a two-wheel would be better. Less maintenance, less things to change. As long as that carries what you want to do, then why go with the extra weight and the extra maintenance? Good. One other question, Lewis. Sure. When I buy grease for different things, farm equipment, tractor, whatever, there's always the more expensive, you know, I buy the tubes. I don't load the, the whole grease gun. Uh -huh. But you pay almost double to get that premium. I don't know if it's mobilium in it or what. There's some ingredient it has. Is it worth it to pay that extra money and get that? Yeah, premium? it depends on the application, John. See, every application requires different things. A wheel bearing requires one thing, whereas, say, a pump of some sort is going to require different what you got to do, and I'm going to put you on hold because i got a lot of background noise. If you don't get a full answer, just send me an email and I'll follow up on it. But what you have to do is look at what is required. There is a specification from the person who designed the pump, designed the bearing, and so on. And that's the specification you need to meet with your grease, just like oil and everything else. There's different ones for different purposes. And being more expensive doesn't make it better. That may not be the right grease for a certain application. It may actually be detrimental to use it. So... What you have to kind of try to do is go on the internet or write or find out what is the proper grease for the application. And that may involve keeping more than one type of grease around because grease is just like oil or just like almost any other chemical. There's a number of different ones for different purposes. So be sure you get the right one for the application. And the best way to find that is go on the internet and look up the application you got and see what grease they recommend. Look on the back of the can and make sure it meets those specifications. And I hope I got you answered completely there. And I, and I hope you'll have a good weekend. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. There we go. We're going to try to catch Robert. Good morning, Robert. Hey, good morning, guys. How's it going? Good Great, morning. Sir. Uh, I have a 2006 GMC Envoy, the uh, Denali edition. Uh-huh. And yesterday morning, I kind of went out, and the driver's side control panel with the heated seats and everything. Yes, sir. None of that's working anymore. Okay. Mm -hmm. Power locks don't work in the heated seats. When I hit my uh, automatic lock, every door locks except the driver's side. Okay, yeah, all that is handled. There's actually there's a panel under the dash that has some circuit breakers in it. Okay. Then there is a main in the under hood box, which is going to have like a 50-amp fuse. Okay. Now, most likely that 50-amp fuse has blown, and that's why it shut everything down. Now, if you okay. can hold on, I've got to take a quick little break, but I'll come back and explain that a little better when we get back. All right, that's perfect. Uh-huh.
All right, we're going to take a quick little break and be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a little advice for those who overshare on Facebook. I know I friended you, but please, I don't need to know what you had for breakfast or where you just scratched. I don't need to know your Uncle Dominic's political beliefs or that your mom painted her kitchen the color called Frosted Fern. And for the last time, we don't care that your cat, Doogie Meowser, really looks like Neil Patrick Harris. Some more advice? In this tight economy, why waste money on a new vehicle? Stick with your older model and take good care of it to make sure it lasts. Come to Agco for quality maintenance and repair, and we'll save you from throwing money away on a big note so you can pay other bills or save for something else. In Facebook terms, that's something you'll definitely like. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. And just before the break, we were talking to Robert. Robert, what happens on that? There is a circuit breaker inside the truck. So what happens when there's a malfunction, that breaker will actually trip, and something will quit working temporarily, but it'll reset on its own. So you may not even notice this occurring. This may have been going on for six months to a year. Okay. Now, after it trips a number of times, eventually it just burns up, it fuses, now it passes it on to the next link. The next link is a 50-amp fuse under the hood. Now, when it blows that 50-amp fuse, everything on that circuit, which is probably six or seven things, is going to probably all quit working at once. That's going to get your attention real fast. Right. Now, what most people do, they go in and they stick a 50-amp fuse and everything starts working. Hey, great. Wham! It blows again. Well, now they got a problem. Okay. And that can be a little bit problematic to find. You said you had power seats and power seat warmers on the vehicle? Yes, sir. Uh, That's one of the most common things to short out on those trucks because the seat warmer wires run under the carpeting. We find problems with that a lot of times. What you could try, Robert, is if you get your owner's manual out and find the circuit breaker that controls that, it'll be like a 35-amp breaker. Pull okay. that one breaker out and then maybe replace the 50-amp fuse and then everything's going to work except the seats. Now, if it does not blow again, then you know that's where your problem is. At. If it's it still blows, circuit. you got to go to the next one. Now, alternatively, if you don't want to go through all that, you can bring it to me in probably an hour's time. I can tell you exactly which one it is and get it fixed for you. But that would be the way you'd have to go about trying to find that yourself. Okay, that's absolutely perfect because I looked online and gotten all kind of <laughs> things where they said that the entire switch Yeah. Uh, Maybe bad and yeah, I mean, I didn't well, anything about there is a possibility you losing an ignition feed, but probably not because you can't run that much power through the ignition. You know, it's not going to have 50 amps or more run through the ignition switch. So okay. check that and see. That's almost always what that is. I'll give that a quick check, and if not, I'll definitely be thinking to buy you Monday morning. <laughs> Sounds great, man. All right, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. All, right. All right, thank All right. you. Going back to our phone lines with Phil. Good morning, Phil. How y'all doing this morning? Doing great, sir. Good morning. Questions for you on the 5.7 liter Dodge Hemi engine, mm -hmm. specifically in a Jeep Cherokee. Looking at that thing, they recommend you change the plugs about every 30,000. 30,000, that's correct. Right. They use standard plugs. Yes, sir. I've seen different information on the internet about whether or not you can run platinums. Yeah, don't do it. Too much resistance. No, it's just not designed for that. The reason they want those plugs out every 30,000 miles field is because you got aluminum cylinder heads. Okay. And what you're doing when you put a long life plug, you're simply trying to avoid what the engineer built in. Right. You screw a long life plug in there, leave it in there 6,000 miles, you go take it out and you take the threads out the head. So now right you end up here. buying two cylinder heads. 
which makes absolutely no sense. You know, just put exactly. the regular champion copper plug, and that's what it's designed for. Change them every thirty k. Takes all an hour or so. <laughs> yeah, all sixteen right. of them. <laughs> right, and it's not a big deal. I think eight of those are what they call intake plugs, and eight of them are what yeah. they call exhaust plugs. Yeah, they have an intake and exhaust. With and right. it's fairly easy to change them. In fact, I believe on the older engines they recommend changing the plug wires every other plug change. Now the newer engines have coil packs, so they got away from that. But so like a thirteen, it's almost brand new. Yeah, it's got know. coil packs Checking on for it. the future. I'm like, eh, yeah, yeah. Know, just but... change them at thirty, and don't worry about. It's kind of like we were talking about earlier. A lot of people on the internet are well-meaning; they just don't know anything. No, that's exactly right. They're saying what they believe, but it's not yeah. based on anything. Well, but they're stating it like it's a fact. It, you know, and yeah, I had I mean, them had Ford motors that I was always paranoid about changing them. You talk about a time thing. We had a Mustang, and mm-hmm. she didn't have any miles on it, but five or six years old. It's like, right. man, we need to get those plugs out of there mm-hmm. before they up in that head. So well, that's right. right. Chrysler has the wherewithal to put platinum plugs, and that's what they want to do. And you buy spark plugs like Chrysler does, I mean, they're buying probably a million plugs at a time. The difference in a platinum plug and a copper plug is nothing. Now, when they sell them to you, they charge you more because they know you want it. But, I mean, they're buying spark plugs for, who knows, five cents each. I mean, you know, they're buying a million plugs at a time. Yeah. And platinum plugs might be six cents each. So it's not a big deal to them. They're doing that for a reason. And see, Toyota does the same thing on a lot of their engines. They use the copper plugs. And 30000 is a recommended interval on. So it's just part of owning the trucks. Cool truck other than that. Good truck. I just go ahead and change yeah. plugs to 30K like how supposed was to. The, uh, how was the longevity on that 5.7 liter motor? I haven't owned a Dodge product since. As long as you take care of it, it's going to hold up, Phil. It won't tolerate a whole lot of abuse as far as not maintaining it. Most of the ones we get in, people are going way too long on the oil changes, and they're knocking because they've lost oil pressure, and they need a new motor at around 100,000 miles, but they're trying to push those oil changes out 10,000 miles. I'd forget everything Dodge told you. Base your oil changes on the way you drive the truck. If you're mostly in town, use the severe service recommendation. Yeah, exactly, and, exactly. And, and three to you know thirty-five to to five k. That's max. good. And, and if you and after the first couple of oil changes, and I usually run fully synthetic oil. Now yeah, I, don't, I don't run past five thousand miles anyway. I would I never find it's a superior oil. It is, and see, that's a high performance engine. It really needs synthetic oil anyway because that engine makes a lot of power. Oh, yeah. And, okay. you know, it can, that's one there where you can definitely benefit from synthetic oil. I'm not sure if they require it on the newer ones or not. On the old ones, they didn't, and I always thought they should. More and more engines today actually require synthetic oil. It's not an option any longer. you got to put it in there. Do you think there's any value in the old uh, You ought to run it X number of miles before you switch to synthetic just to allow the motor to break? Yes, yeah, so I would probably go a couple of oil changes with regular oil. And, you know, I like to change my oil the first time around at real low mileage, like about 1,000, 1,500. Just because yeah. I've worked at engine rebuilding plants, and I know how much trash is in those engines. Exactly. And that's all floating around in that engine. So I like to get the original oil out at around 1,000 to 1,500. Right. Then after that, every 3,000. And two times before I go to synthetic. Right. Hey, I'm sorry. We're totally out of time. We have busted away another hour's worth of Perfectly information. Perfectly good hour. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I want to tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week and tell your friends and go to iTunes and give us a written rating. Oh yeah, we really like that and we got to think 86 of them on there this morning. I should right. have hit 90. <laughs> I would too. So if you ever thought about it and you like our show, you like what we do, go ahead and give us a written rating. That kind of lets other people see we're doing good stuff and Get some more people listening. There you go. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.